Taking a closer look at Tennessee's 2023 football opponents. Going to check in with a couple hosts from around the Locked On Podcast Network. How does Tennessee stack up against some of the better SEC teams? That and a whole lot more here on a Friday. Locked On Balls. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome into it. This is Locked on Balls, and I'm your host, Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys for being here every single day, everydayers. Thanks so much for coming back. Become an everydayer by tuning in tomorrow, every single morning, 30 minutes or less. We get you caught up on the Tennessee Volunteers. It is your team every single day, a part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Appreciate you guys making that Locked on Balls your first listen. And you can always find the show and find me on Twitter at underscore Kaner and at Locked on Vols. Uh, like I said, got a fun show coming up. Going to preview uh, Texas A&M. Going to look ahead to Kentucky, to Tennessee's opponents on that 2023 schedule. We've uh, caught up with um, you know Andrew from Locked On Gamecocks. Caught up from Brandon from Locked On Gators. And uh, really excited to get into here and talk a little Texas A&M, Kentucky, and a little bit more here on today's show. So without further ado, going to bring on Andrew Stefaniak. And um, did, I, did I mess it up? No, you got it right. You got it right. Not many people do. <laughs> There we go, because usually I, I butcher names and stuff. I'll, I'll call you something else here in a minute. But uh, Andrew is going to be the host of Locked On Aggies, Texas A&M's uh, Locked On podcast. He's going to he's going to be ready to get going uh, next week. So, uh, welcome to the uh, the organization. Welcome to uh, the company, man. And uh, thanks so much for coming on Locked On Balls. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm really excited to get going and talk a little Texas A&M sports and taking a look at this football team. Texas A&M is coming off a year that had a lot of disappointment, especially with the recruiting class they had in 2022. Number one overall class, and that turns into a 5-7 and seven season. It left a lot of people not really happy with those results and a lot of people questioning Coach Fisher's future in College Station. So the Aggies went and they bring in a pretty good recruiting class. They go get 11 transfers, but a lot of this season is going to come down to the quarterback play. Many people believe Connor Wegman is going to be the starter, as do I. But Max Johnson has played well in spring. He played well in the spring game. So it's going to be an interesting summer and an interesting fall to see who truly locks up that position. One thing that kind of had Aggie fans concerned was the recent commitment of Jalen Henderson, a quarterback from Fresno State, which led many to wonder, is something wrong with Wegman or Max Johnson? Are they not playing well? Is is recently hired offensive coordinator Bobby Petrino not feeling good about the guys he has in the room? So that addition was a little concerning, and that happened just a couple of days ago. Luckily, Coach Fisher came out and cleared things up and said, hey, guys, listen, I want a gunslinger for next year, someone we can develop and turn into a potential starter next year. So that kind of cleared up, okay, it's not this year situation, which has to make you feel better as an Aggie fan. And there's a, But there's a lot to look forward to. We have our offensive line has gotten a lot better. All returners, 75 career starts. Last year was rough. There's no debating it. It was a rough, rough season for the offensive line, but a lot of these guys have gotten bigger, faster, stronger, and they're ready to put on a show just like they did in the spring game. So there's a lot to look forward to down at College Station. Yeah, I think Texas A&M is obviously one of the more interesting teams in the SEC. Always so much, uh, you know, expectations 
Um, of course, Jimbo Fisher, national championship winning, you know, head coach, um, the, the recruiting class, the name, image, and likeness, you know, all that in there. And of course, a lot of that's gone, you know, sour and south in the last couple of years. But, you know, AM for Tennessee, that's going to be that first game coming off the off week. It's going to be October the 14th, right before the third Saturday in October for the Alabama. And um, th- this is this type of matchup is going to be one that really benefits from uh, the SEC, which is expected to go to uh, the nine game conference schedule with the three permanent opponents and everybody else rotating because Tennessee will get to play AM every other year. Tennessee will get to travel to College Station every four years. And that, that's going to be fun because, you know, Tennessee was at College Station in 2016 and fumbled about 75 times and barely lost in double overtime. And then that COVID shortened season, AM came up here and a really good year for AM and they whipped Tennessee's tail. So kind of, you know, looking at this Aggie team, you kind of broke down a lot of it right there, and a lot of it depends on quarterback play and all that. But a lot of people expecting a bounce back season for Texas AM, maybe challenging. A lot of people already picking LSU in the West, maybe AM challenging them. Of course, Alabama's still there. Kind of where do you see AM in the West in that pecking order? Well, Playing in the West is always tough every year. You got your Bama, you got your LSU, you got your up-and-coming Auburn with the Q freeze higher. There's a lot to be concerned about when you're playing in the West every year. But AM has done what they've needed to do to stay afloat, which is recruit and recruit at a high level. And like I said, the 2022 class was obviously the number one overall in the nation and in the SEC. This year's was top 15, which isn't a place you love to be. But you're still only you're still pretty much third in the West there. So the recruiting class has, is going to help a lot because it's going to keep you afloat with the rest of these teams. And if you can't recruit with them, you're not going to beat them on the field. But when it comes to this season, Texas A&M is a team that it, it just are they are they going to show up? Are these pieces going to come together? Many people, twenty two four seven Sports has been saying. Texas A&M is a sleeper team that could go and win the West. It wouldn't surprise me, but it's going to all come down to can these pieces all come together? The offensive line, the young defensive line, the young receiver core. There's a lot that has to fall in the right space. And if all that happens, I believe that Aggies can win 19 games this year and compete for the West, but you still have a lot of tough games on the schedule. You got to play your Alabama. You got to play LSU. There's a lot of games. You got to go to Knoxville. There's a lot of scary games on this schedule that Texas A&M is going to need some spectacular quarterback play, especially to make these these tough games turn into wins. And it's just it's 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 going to be one of the things where we just have to see what happens. But I think Texas A&M has a kind of uh, uh, six game floor with a 10 game ceiling, but it's just a tough schedule. It's a really tough schedule. Yeah. So it's just life in the sec for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, we we're talking a lot of the uh, offense right now and there's, you know, another side of the football. Hopefully I can get to that in a moment if we have time, but mm-hmm. man, man, I got it from an outsider's perspective, man, from a college football enthusiast and, and something that just loves somebody that just loves theater. You've got Jimbo Fisher, you've got Bobby Petrino, Please, please tell me. I know you've heard this as well, but please tell me how this is going to work. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Um, you, I mean, I just, I'll, I'll never forget my reaction to when I saw the hire because I was like, Bobby Petrino. It's, it's going to be a dynamic. It's, it's just, it's going to be a really fun and interesting dynamic to see play out. Uh, Petrino has 
been, you know, doing a lot of the play calling and all the on the offensive side of the ball. I've been doing a lot of stuff like that in the spring game. And a spring game, the spring game looks like a Bobby Petrino football uh, called football game. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic, but I think Petrino is going to help this team. And I remember when I, like I said, the, my initial reaction to the Petrino hire, a lot of people were kind of like, I, I don't see this working out. This is going to be a really weird dynamic. How are they going to make this work? But I think so far through his first few months and, you know, seven, eight months in College Station, I think everything's going really well. And I'm starting to get on the side of things where I think this is going to work out. I really do. And at first, I don't know if I was there. <laughs> yeah, very much a wait and see approach for sure. But, you know, when you're trying to trying to reload, trying to trying to change mm -hmm. the things, you know, you got to try some things. And of course, Bobby Petrino is a good coach, good play caller. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see how that dynamic with Jimbo Fisher, who you know, feels like every other season he's on the hot seat. Of course, you've got that ginormous salary, the huge buyout and all that. Maybe Bobby Petrino can help alleviate some of that. Last question, going to stay all on offense right now. You've mentioned him a couple of times. Connor Wagman played really well towards the end of that season. Max Johnson is still there. You mentioned another quarterback. What strengths does Wagman bring to the table? And is he capable of being, you know, one of those – Maybe not top five, top four SEC quarterbacks, but upper echelon signal callers in the Southeastern Conference. Well, Wegman, what gets me so excited about him this year is his ability to use his legs on top of the accuracy he has. Last year, it wasn't great, but you got, I mean, he was a young guy. You got to develop, you got to have time to figure it out in the SEC. And that's why I'm glad that he got those reps he did last season to be able to kind of say, okay, we're going to throw out that five and seven year and say, let's now that Wegman has experience, he's played in the SEC. Let's see if he can go win some football games. But it's just he, the accuracy, the arm strength, it all works out to a way that I think he's going to have a great year. I think he could be a top five quarterback in the SEC, especially with a lot of the question marks in your schools like Alabama and your schools like Auburn that have a lot of, quarterback inconsistencies right now and question marks surrounding it to where it's a year that I think he could finish as a top five quarterback in the SEC. But his legs are something that people don't fully appreciate. It was fun to watch in the spring game. There were so many broken plays. And of course, you know, you can't tackle the quarterback, so the plays are blown dead. But mm -hmm. there were so many plays where he had a hole. He was going for 10, 15 yards and they blow it dead. But it it's there's a lot to be excited about with his legs going forward because I think that's going to be something that people don't really fully know that he's capable of doing, and he's going to do at a high level, and that's going to help the running game. That's going to help the passing game. I think Wegman's in for a really big year. Texas A&M in Tennessee. It'll be Saturday, October the 14th, the first week after uh, Tennessee's off week. The Volunteers already play five games by that point in time. Virginia, Austin P, Florida, UTSA, and South Carolina. You had A&M, then you have Alabama, Kentucky, and the uh, the, the gauntlet continues. His name is Andrew Stefaniak. He is the new host of uh, Locked On Aggies. That's going to get started uh, some midway point next week. And, of course, uh, you know if you can tune in and hear him, follow him on Twitter, at Andrew Stefaniak. And especially game week in the fall, you need to tune in and get all your updated scouting reports on the Texas A&M Aggies. Andrew, appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for being here. Yep, appreciate you having me. All right, good stuff there from Andrews. We continue to take a look at Tennessee's opponents for that 2023 schedule. We'll take a look at Kentucky uh, when we return. But uh, first, I want to remind you guys about a proud sponsor of the show. That is Built Bar. 
Bill Barr, Bill Puffs, I, I tell you about this all the time. It's good for you, you're, but you're not sacrificing taste whatsoever. You're adding protein to your diet. 17 grams of it, to be in fact, is what is infused in a Bill Bar. 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar. But the kicker, covered in 100% real chocolate. So again, you're eating healthier. You're not sacrificing taste or uh, experience. And you can get all that at Built.com. Specialty flavors are at Built.com. As always, the bars, the puffs. Or you go. You can now go in Walmart or your local Sam's Club and get them off the rack. Get a 13-bar box at, at Sam's. Get a 4-bar box of puffs or um, at, um, at Walmart as well. So um, it's, it's really, really exciting stuff. But 100%. Real chocolates, dosed all over 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories. This summer's coming up. Snack healthy and do it at Built.com. Welcome back into a Friday Locked On Vols. We continue looking ahead at the 2023 schedule. We learned a little bit about where Texas A&M is at right now, or is right now, before the app, my mother would say. Now let's bring on Lance Daw. He's the host of Locked On Kentucky. And uh, Tennessee plays Kentucky. There's an Alabama game in there. We'll we'll touch base with Alabama at some point in the coming weeks. But Tennessee, Kentucky, October 28th. And uh, Lance Dahl, host of Locked On Kentucky. What's up, brother? Oh, just hanging out, man. You know, just thinking about the last time that you and I spoke. We were talking about a game in Knoxville for basketball that you and I both thought was going to be absolutely terrible and ended up being a win for Kentucky. You know, so since then, you know, every time I think of you, I think of, Antonio Reeves going off, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Let's talk football. <laughs> mm. To add well, uh, salt to the wound, the quarterback from the University of Kentucky was drafted by my favorite professional team, and I just I don't know what to think anymore. It's I actually hate that for you guys. <laughs> tra- tragedy is 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 the word that comes to mind, to be honest with you. I, I completely agree. I, I I was surprised that he fell out of the the, the first round entirely. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, for him to go to the Titans was was just was not good for Tennessee fans. So, oh, but, hey, congratulations! You now get to deal with that problem. <laughs> Look at you! I love it. Um, <laughs> tell me about Kentucky post post spring practice. What, what's up with the Wildcats right now? Well, if we're looking at a quarterback position, I feel like n- next season we're looking at possibly more stability and consistency uh, at that position than maybe we saw with the two years under Levis, and that's saying something uh, considering that Levis was one of Kentucky's best quarterbacks that they've had in a hot minute. Devin Leary, transfer from NC State. He is coming into the program. He's going to be operating under offensive coordinator Liam Cohen, who left for the Rams last season, let Will Levis and the guys suffer, and then he decided to come back, maybe actually dictate the offense in a proper way. I'm excited to see what this team looks like, Eric, because under Will Levis, we thought that in year two, we would see them throw the ball around a little bit more. Chris Rodriguez was going to be out, obviously, for like the first month of the season. We knew that for a long time. Kentucky ended up not really doing a whole lot on offense. They were very anemic at times. And this season, I think with the way that Kentucky is operated in the transfer portal, getting pieces across the offensive line, one from Ohio State, I believe one from USC uh, as well to kind of shore things up there. I think that Kentucky's offense is going to be significantly better than it was last season because they bring back a lot of production. And on top of that, I think they patched the holes where they needed to. The defense, I think, is a little bit of a concern overall. But if we're just, you know, talking very generically about this team, new quarterback, better OC is back, new pieces on top of really good pieces. I think this Kentucky team 
I don't think they're in a position to make a push for the SEC East because Georgia does, in fact, exist. But outside of that, I think this is going to be a really good year for Mark Stoops. You know, I've been a fan of Devin Leary for a couple of years now. I'm a big fan, and I completely agree with you. I think he's going to be to Kentucky everything that they wanted and hoped for for Will Levis. I mean, I think you got a major upgrade for sure, so mm. I guess congrats there. Um, my question is about Kentucky. We're on the offensive line. You kind of addressed that you know, th- through the portals is what you were mentioning, but I'm also the the backfield. I mean, you're losing you know, C-Rod, who's been one of the best you know running backs in the SEC for the last couple of years. Uh, what's that running back room look like now with that huge departure? So you went out into the transfer portal and you got a player from Vanderbilt who ran for over a thousand yards last season, Ray Davis. He's probably going to be the starter. He's five, nine, I believe like 200 pounds, 205 pounds, something like that. Uh, really solid last year for the Commodores, really solid against Kentucky. Uh, might I had, uh, so maybe that performance caught uh, Stoops eye and he decided he wanted to go out and get him. So it's going to be him. And then the backup, I think, I think is going to be Ramon Jefferson uh, transfer from uh, Sam Houston State last year. Did not get to play much at all because he was injured before the season began. I think this is going to be his time to really shine as that number two guy for Kentucky. I think he's capable of it. His numbers certainly reflect it. So that's going to be Kentucky situation in the backfield. There's no Chris Rodriguez. There's no bell cow back. It's going to be your one and your two, and if you want to, maybe get to your third guy. Kentucky, I think, is going to run the ball, but they're not going to run the ball as much as they did maybe with Chris Rodriguez in 2021 or 2020. I think it's going to be a somewhat balanced offense, but with Liam Cohen back operating this passing scheme with these really talented receivers, you're going to see Ray Davis play well. You're going to see Ramon Jefferson play well, but I don't think that they're going to be considered as like an, an SEC best tandem, uh, I would say. What happened to my guy, the transfer, the big guy? I forgot his name. Oh, goodness. Running He's back, never s- plays. Six foot five. Got, well, I can confirm D Beckwith never played, um, yeah, there <laughs> which, is, which is a shame because we talked about, I think we talked about him more in different episodes, you and I, than, than he got carries last well, season. Well, of course, yeah. Like, is he still on the team, though? He didn't. Oh, he's still on the team. I, okay. I got it. According to the uh, according to the and that is an alarm. According to the uh, Our Lads depth chart, he is fifth. Yikes! He is fifth, uh, right behind Lavelle Wright, which is actually surprising that he's behind Lavelle Wright. So yeah, no D Beckwith for the boys this season. <laughs> I mean, he's there, but is he really there? That's know. a shame, man. He he was he was that. a he was a really interesting prospect, a good guy to talk to. I hate that for him. Um, but anyway, I, I always want to ask about it because I thought he fit I thought he would fit in that offense perfectly with kind of the way that they usually play, that being Kentucky. Uh Dane Key, Barry and Brown. Uh yes. young receivers last year, explosive good receivers. I would expect them to take a step and and be kind of the catalyst this upcoming season. Yeah, the fact that both of them were able to do what they did uh, underneath Rich Scangarello in in his offense last season, I don't want to say it was a miracle because both of them are really talented, and Scangarello was not awful, um, but it was definitely impressive for them to be able to get out and show what they did on tape in their freshman years. Uh, Barry and Brown, over 600 receiving yards. Dan Key, over 500. You've got those two top guys coming back for you. I'm really excited. Really excited to see what uh, Liam Cohen does with those two guys pairing up with Devin Leary. Like you said, I think it's an upgrade from Will Levis. I know that may be a hot take for some people out there. Is Devin Leary a better NFL body, a better NFL prospect? No, but is he going to be a better college quarterback for Kentucky? 
I, I think he is going to be. And having guys like Key and Brown on the outside for you, definitely going to help uh, this passing offense this season. I'm very excited to see uh, what the Wildcats do with these two guys. I think they're set up, as long as they don't go to the draft early, I think these guys are set up. Kentucky is underneath these guys set up uh, in this passing offense for a long time. Well, I mean, Leary took a took a step back last year, but prior to last year, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I mean, at mm -hmm. least in my mind. So, I mean, yeah, like better NFL body, Will Levis, sure, but better football player, Devin Leary, mm -hmm. Bob Miles. <laughs> like that, that's the way I look at it. Uh, last thing, what about defense? I know you lose a, a linebacker, really talented linebacker, and square. Uh, what's that unit look like? Always a, a sharp defense, good at the line of scrimmage, front seven under Mark, Mark Stoops. Yeah, that's actually one of my concerns this season is that there are not a lot of recognizable names. A lot of there's a lot of new names I think that are going to be that are going to be playing across this this defensive line that weren't necessarily you know lighting it up statistically or lighting it up even in, in you know snaps last season uh, across this front seven. You lose a lot of really solid linebacker play. I believe J.J. Weaver is still here. He's back for, I think, his 22nd season uh, with Kentucky, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Um, solid player at the outside linebacker spot there. You've also got a, a relatively inexperienced secondary uh, overall. Uh, you're not looking at a, a lot of talented players coming back. Uh, I believe Carrington Valentine is gone. Kentucky had, I, ble I believe he was the the cornerback that was selected for the while. I cannot believe I, I did not mark that down before we had this conversation of which defensive back for the Wildcats was picked. Um, but yeah, there, there is an expectation, I think, Eric, that this defense is solid. But as we wade into the offseason, we get to July and August, I think there's going to be some conversation, not just on my show, but all across you know the Kentucky sphere about, okay, we've, we expect this defense to consistently be good, but are these names, are these talents on paper going to actually help produce a unit that has been as capable as ones in years past. And right now, I don't think we have a clear answer on that. Sheboy coming back? Uh, I, ooh, <clears throat> would you like Sheboy to come back? Let me let me turn the question back on you. Would you like Sheboy to come back or would you rather Kentucky go out and get a transfer? I mean, from a Tennessee perspective, um, I would not like him to come back, but from a just watching him play, I'm, I'm a fan of the way he plays. Um, but, I mean, yeah, Kentucky will just go out and get somebody else, I guess. Uh, he got invited to the Combine, right? He did get invited to the Combine. I am currently in a war with my subscribers about whether or not he should or shouldn't return. Yesterday's episode I actually put out, I said I don't think he should come back. Um, not, for, not for necessarily Kentucky or necessarily for him. I think if he does come back, it hurts his draft stock. I don't think it stays neutral. This year's roster is completely different than the last two in terms yeah. of players wanting attention and getting they're going to get the ball and Shibway's going to have a smaller role. I don't know how much smaller, but it's going it would be smaller. And I, I think that Shibway would be setting himself up for worse draft stock next year. He'd have a little bit more NIL money. But at the end of the day, if you're looking long term, um, you're betting on yourself one way or another, you know, whether it's staying in the draft this year or deciding to come back and see if you can improve anything, um, which I don't think would necessarily be his goal. I think he'd come back just to be there and to, to try and win a title. So I will say no. I will say no. This That's not a prediction. I just don't think it would be best for him. Nope, that makes sense. Kentucky, Tennessee, Saturday, October the 28th. It's always going to be a, uh, a big-time matchup for the Battle of the Beer Barrel, the Border War. Always love that matchup. 
Lance Daw, he writes about Auburn. He's the host of Locked On Kentucky. He is one of the new writers for Braves today, I believe. Is that right? Uh, yes, sir. I dabble on there every now and then. Look at you, man. It's a busy guy. Sports is what he does. Lance, appreciate it as always, man. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. So we take a look at a uh, and We've taken a look at Kentucky. Now let's take a look at Tennessee and Kentucky. Hey, I should ask Lance about this. Kentucky baseball series, massive baseball series at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. That's coming up this weekend when we come back right here. We'll talk about it. Locked on balls. All right, guys, we've got a final segment left here of this Friday edition of Locked on Vols. And uh, appreciate you guys being here for sure. Really, really do mean it. Had a fun time catching up with uh, some fellow Locked On hosts, getting caught up and uh, with an understanding of Texas A&M, of Kentucky, to a Tennessee's opponents on the 2023 football schedule. Uh, but it's a big baseball series coming up this weekend, and I want to touch base on that a little bit. I'm about to play a clip uh, from my podcast over on the porch, fallquest.com. I encourage you guys to go check that out every single uh, you know Thursday or really the day before uh, when the series starts, I, I do it with VFL Luke Lipsius. And so if you haven't uh, known about that or check that out, I know the season's almost over, but uh, maybe it's a great time because postseason play is about to begin. Uh, we, we chat and kind of break down the, the upcoming series in a little bit. So it's really fun. Uh, but wanted to break down uh, Kentucky, get into the nitty-gritty. Who is Kentucky? What do you need to work on? And um, you know, what do you need to look out for? And ultimately, what you need to do in order to win this series, the last regular season series uh, at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, before you hit the road to conclude the regular season at South Carolina and um, Tennessee's two and 11 so far on the season on the road uh, right now, Tennessee is a projected two seed in the NCAA regional, uh, which would mean you would have to go and travel on the road. So cross that bridge. When you get there, hosting is still a possibility, but you have six games left. You're at 12 and 12 in the sec 14 wins usually get you in with a top 40 RPI. Tennessee's at 25 in the RPI right now. So that means simple math. If you take two or three this weekend at home against Kentucky, where you're twenty, where you're thirty and four on the season, that means you get the lucky number fourteen wins in the SEC. You'd like to win some more, sure, and win a couple games in Hoover to solidify things. But fourteen wins in the Southeastern Conference with the top forty RPI will get you in nine times out of ten, usually. Okay, um, if you want to host, usually sixteen wins with a top thirty RPI will get you in. If Tennessee goes four and two over its over its final six SEC games. You can potentially host, but one thing at a time, right? So that's kind of the layouts, the postseason picture. Uh, Tennessee has two more weekends left in the regular season, and uh, they're big ones, and it starts this weekend at home with Kentucky. So who is Kentucky? Who are the Wildcats? Uh, here's a clip of me breaking it down on the Porch Podcast over at VolQuest.com. Kentucky has the top-ranked RPI in the country, 34 and 13 is the record. They have the number one strength of schedule, the number one RPI. Uh, they moved up to that number one spots in the last seven days by three spots. Non-conference, 20 and three. They have the second most impressive. Um, you know, they have the second RPI in the non-conference slate. And versus RPI teams, one through 25, Kentucky is nine and six. 26 through 50, they're seven and five. 51 through 100, they're eight and two. 101 on, they are 10 and 0. Uh, Tennessee currently has the 25th highest RPI. All right. And with a 33 and six record, and they have dropped actually seven spots in the last seven days, according to uh, this tracker here at RPI or at, um, at D1 baseball. So it's going to be the top ranked RPI team in the land traveling to the 25th highest RPI team 
and the land this weekend for Tennessee and Kentucky. What about those Kentucky Wildcats? Well, I went ahead and uh, prior to uh, recording this uh, podcast, I went ahead and uh, wrote my weekend preview. I'll add in some quotes later on before it's released on game day on Friday. But Kentucky's a good team. I mean, they really are. They, they have far exceeded expectations this year. Uh, preseason pick sixth in the in the Eastern Division by the league's head coaches. They're currently fourth. They're a spot ahead of Tennessee in the SEC East right now. They have they they hit well. Uh, they pitch even better, and, and they, you know, the staff is going to be nothing like Tennessee has seen each of the past two weekends when Mississippi State and Georgia. Georgia pitched well against Tennessee, but Georgia overall is not a very good pitching ball club. Kentucky is for sure. But what's interesting about that, Kentucky in in the last five series, so whether it be Thursday through Saturday, Friday through Sunday, whatever, in the last five series, game one, Kentucky has started four different guys. So I, I at this point in time, I mean, they'll come out with the um, the weekend rotations uh, later on on Thursday, and uh, I would assume Kentucky will probably give a, a nice little TBA there for game one. But as of right now, I have no clue who they'll start on, on game one because in the last five weeks, they've started four different guys for game one. In game two and game three, there's been a, a little bit of movement, but it's between it's been between the two guys, Zach Lee or Tyler Bosma. Zach Lee, 4-2 uh, and two on the season, 354 ERA. He's a righty. Tyler Bosma, 4-3 and three on the year, 504 ERA. He is a lefty. What's interesting about Zach Lee is um, he's pitched really, really well of late. He started 11 of his 12 appearances this season, uh, formerly an MLB draft prospect prior to last season. Um, he's a, He's been really good of late. He's allowed to combine four runs over his last 15 innings um, in his last three starts against AM, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina. Last week against South Carolina, clearly his best outing of the year. Six foot four, 200 pounder. He went. Uh, six and two-thirds, allowing two runs off, seven hits, 12 strikeouts, no walks. So the number two starter in Derek Lee, or excuse me, Zach Lee, <laughs> Derek Lee, uh, Zach Lee is someone that's pitching really, really well. Uh, Tyler Bozma, who will likely get the start in game three, and he started all 12 weekends this season for Kentucky. Usually the number two guy, uh, but has made at least one start in game three so far this season. Um, you know, potentially he can start Saturday and, and Lee will pitch Sunday, but regardless, it's going to be one of those two guys. But nonetheless, um, six foot six, 235 pounds. Lefty's pitched three seasons in Miami of Ohio before coming over to Kentucky last year. Spent time in the Cape Cod League, uh, Cape Cod Summer League. He's only surpassed three innings and a third, though, once in his last five starts. He's threw as many as 98 pitches and starts against Missouri, and he threw 80 pitches his last week, uh, last week and start against South Carolina. So he stretched out, but he hasn't surpassed three innings and a third um, in each of his past three starts. So I thought that was, uh, or, or better said, he's only surpassed three innings and a third once in his last five starts. So I think that is worth noting. He only went three innings and a third, allowing three runs off three hits against South Carolina last week. Uh, but as far as Friday night starter, I mean, it's kind of pick your pick your poison, right? Could it be right-handed Logan Martin? Uh, he started the season opener. He's 1-1 one one with a 4.43 ERA. Missed about three weeks in March. Hadn't pitched each of the last two weekends, so we'll check on him. Uh, graduate righty Darren Williams is 3-1, and one, 4.37 ERA on the season. He's made four starts and 11 appearances, three SEC starts, the latest coming two weekends ago against Vanderbilt. Redshirt freshman righty Travis Smith has made 10 starts this year. He made the last Friday night weekend start. However, all the other starts for Travis Smith has come in the midweek action. So who's going to be game one starter 
for Kentucky. We'll have to see, uh, but expect to see Zach Lee and Tyler Bosma, a righty and a lefty, uh, throwing against Tennessee uh, at some point this weekend. Uh, pitching stats, really, really good, guys, uh, for Kentucky. Third in the conference in Team ERA, a 403. It holds the fifth lowest opponent batting average at 228, but struck out just the fewest batters in the league at 414. So Kentucky's been really good, but they're not a strikeout pitching team. Only 414 strikeouts on the mound. For context, Tennessee leads the SEC with 547 strikeouts on the mound. Still, they've allowed the fewest runs on the season at 194 and fewest home runs allowed at 40 on the year. Quick look at the lineup. This is a lineup that doesn't do anything overly impressive. They just go out there and play ball. Um, they, they're fast, though, and they will test Tennessee's battery all weekend long. That is going to have to be something that you look out for. Four players, double-digit steals on the season. They like to bunt. They like to play some small ball. They will 100% try to put pressure on Tennessee's pitcher on the base pass. And again, if, if I'm if I'm any team in the country, I'm trying to do the same thing. Uh, but they, they do a really, really good job. Jackson Gray's the center fielder. He's a leadoff man. He's sitting 372. He stole 17 bags. Uh, second baseman, Emilian Pitry, I believe is how you say his name. He's the cleanup hitter as well. A 361 average, second on the team and driving in 42 runs. You've got a uh, transfer from Longwood, Hunter Gillum. He is the first baseman. He's the power source. He has 10 home runs, 60 RBI, 359 at the plate. Third baseman, Jace Felkler, uh, one of four starters, as I mentioned, with double-digit steals. He's batting 317. Eight of the nine routine batters in that order are hitting over 260 or better on the season with four hitting over 300. Kentucky ranks fourth in team average in the SEC at 299. So as a team, it's hitting 300, essentially. Second in on-base percentage at 428, but last in home runs. Only 33 home runs this season. Next to last in RBI, 321. That's across the SEC. So they hit really good for average, but not a whole lot of power for Kentucky so far this year. AM, who ranks 13th in the league in home runs, has almost twice as many home runs as Kentucky. Interesting note heading into the weekend, and obviously it's a big reason why Kentucky is last in the SEC in slugging percentage. So they hit, they get on base, but they don't score a lot. They don't drive in a whole lot of runs. Interesting uh, for Kentucky, a little tidbit heading into the weekend. So uh, nonetheless, guys, it's going to be a challenge. Kentucky coming off a series sweep at home to South Carolina. Yes, I understand South Carolina is going through the ringer in terms of injuries, but they swept a good team in South Carolina. They've swept Missouri. They swept Mississippi State. They've taken two or three from Alabama. They've only been swept one time this year by Vanderbilt. They've dropped two or three to Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M. So, all right. So that's what I think about Kentucky. That is the scouting report on the Kentucky Wildcats. A big weekend series coming up. It is Tennessee baseball hosting Kentucky. And if you win this series, you unofficially punch that ticket, in my opinion, to the NCAA tournament. Hey, a fun show had fun work, a fun week worth of shows. Uh, really, really fun. Appreciate you guys for uh, being here. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. Shout out everydayers. Couldn't, as always, do it without you. I will be out of town next week. I have pre-recorded and scheduled shows to be released every single day. You're not going to miss a beat. Uh, on your way to work in your cubicle, there will be Tennessee content out there here on Lockdown Vols. If there is breaking news, guys, I'll hit it when I come back. You know the drill. Um, a lot of times when you're out of town, you just you have to do what you can. You have to hit it when you come back. So uh, that's the plan. Uh, guys, if you need me, you can always find me on Twitter at underscore canner at Lockdown Vols. 
Appreciate you guys as always for listening and watching Lockdown Balls.